Art takes, not hot takes. This is Everyone is Wrong, a counterintuitive pop culture podcast. I'm your host, Seth Sommerfeld. Thanks for listening. My guest today is a Soderbergh Soldierberg, single and looking to mingle, <laughs> and despite what the movies may suggest, has been to outer space the same number of times as George Clooney. <laughs> he has blasted off to our remote space station today in an attempt to be our film psychologist and explain why Steven Soderbergh's 2002 quote-unquote remake of Solaris is superior to the Andrea Tarkovsky original 1972 Russian version, which has long been hailed as a sci-fi classic. Everyone is wrong, but Jason Baxter isn't. Thanks for coming on again, Jason. Thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure, Seth. It's always Um, fun. The man of a million ideas, Jason Baxter. (laughs) It's not a remake. It's an adaptation of, it's a new adaptation of the book. Yep, we will we'll get into that, but that's why I wanted to put the quotes on the remake right there. Yeah. So let's get into the background of the Solaris movies. We'll start with the original. Solaris is a Soviet sci-fi film directed and co-written by Andrea Tarkovsky based on Stanislaw Lem's novel of the same name. Pre-warning for me trying to pronounce all the other Russian names. The film stars Donatus Bayanatis as psychologist Chris Kelvin and Natalia Bondarchuk as Hari Kelvin, his wife, question mark? Mm-hmm. Chris Kelvin is sent to a space station orbiting the oceanic planet of Solaris to evaluate for the Soviet government if the project should be shut down after years of mysterious happenings which has left only three scientists living on the station. When he arrives, he finds that one of said scientists, his friend Dr. Gabarian, has committed suicide, and the two surviving crewmen, Snout and Satoris, portrayed by Juri Gervet and Anatoly Solonitsyn, are acting very strange and distant. Growing paranoid by their actions, the video suicide note Dr. Gabarian left, and the fact that there inexplicably appear to be more humans on the station, Chris locks himself in his room and goes to sleep, dreaming of his dead wife, Hari. When he awakens, Hari is in the room with him. Freaked out, he lures this version of Hari into a rocket and blasts her off into space, only for another Hari to appear when he sleeps once again. It turns out Solaris is manifesting visitors for the crew of the station based on their dreams after scientists bombarded the planet with x-rays. While this version of Hari struggles with her own realness, Chris must deal with reconnecting with this version of his dead wife, the strange actions of his crewmates, and trying to decide if he can or even wants to escape this eerie reality Solaris has created. That is the original movie. Yes. Solaris. The first adaptation, yeah. The first adaptation. Well, actually, we'll get to that in a second. Solaris was released on February 5th, 1972 in Moscow. The film screened only in five theaters, but sold over 10.5 million tickets during its runs. And it was screened in regular limited runs for 15 years straight in the USSR. I had heard this. Yeah, right. But like in the States, we got like a kind of a bastardized version of it, right? Yeah, that that'll be right now. Uh, in May okay. 1972, the film was shown at Cannes Film Festival, where it won the Grand Jury Prize. 
But because mm. of the Cold War, the film didn't screen in the United States until October 1976 and was a version that had 30 minutes of it cut out. So Cold War filmmaking. We'll get to it, but I don't blame them. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. The original Solaris sits at 92% on Rotten Tomatoes, 94% among top critics, with an audience score of 90%. The Guardian ranked Solaris as the fifth best science fiction movie of all time. In 2018, BBC ranked it number 57 on its list of 100 greatest foreign language films and number 17 on its list of the 100 best sci-fi movies. Okay. In 2010, Empire Magazine ranked it number 68 on their list of 100 best films of world cinema. And earlier this year, they ranked it number 25 on its best science fiction films of all time. The movie also made Esquire's 2021 list of the 29 best science fiction movies of all time, which why not add one more and make it 30? Round numbers are nice. Uh, here are a few critics' thoughts on the film when it was released. Yes. The BBC's Jamie Russell gave it a five-star review, calling it an art house sci-fi epic. Solaris is an Eastern Bloc answer to Stanley Kubrick's 2001 A Space Odyssey. A million light years removed from the pseudo-religious grandstanding of Kubrick's acid trip Space Odyssey, this takes Kelvin and us on a journey into the uncharted depths of inner space. We, we'll get into more of the adaptation, but I should point out that is actually accurate where 2001 A Space Odyssey came out in 1968, and this was Tarkovsky's response in part to that. And he has some right. like flaming quotes about like 2001, like he said, quote, oh, uh, 2001 yeah. A Space Odyssey is phony on many points, even for specialists, and also called it, quote, a lifeless schema with only pretensions of truth, which is also funny because Stanley Kubrick liked Solaris and, like, it was listed. <laughs> There's at one point, like, I saw an article of, like, his 93 favorite films, and Solaris is one of them. Um, so he's not as hard and angry Russian, even though it's not like standard Kubrick is a warm guy, but right. He was also like, eh, I, I don't know. I liked it. I'm not like he wasn't throwing shots the way that I'm not hard against is. it. Yeah. 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 Roger Ebert for the Chicago sun times at the time of the film's release said Solaris isn't a fast moving action picture. It's thoughtful, no. deep sense. <laughs> it's a thoughtful, deep, sensitive movie that uses the freedom of science fiction to examine human nature. It starts slow, but once you get involved, it grows on you. And then when the film was released in its full version in the States in 1990, Washington Post, uh, Dessen Howe wrote, the third feature in Tarkovsky's brief shining career will deliver you from the mundane to the sublime. An extended cinematic poem Solaris transforms the elements of Polish writer Stanislaw Lem's 1961 novel into a Tolstoy-influenced religious treatise on the human race. And the one negative review I could find from the time of Solaris's release came from Time Magazine's Jay Cook, who wrote, The effects are scanty, 
the drama gloomy, the philosophy of the film thick as a cloud of ozone. The plot is not all that original either. All through the seemingly ceaseless running time, nearly two and a half hours, and considerably trimmed from the Russian version, one is put longingly in mind of Forbidden Planet, a lighthearted piece of American sci-fi, Forbidden Planet, 1956, was a genial reworking of The Tempest in which some American astronauts were trapped on a distant planet. That's that's generous. That's very generous, but okay, yeah. The Wizard, a stand-in for Prospero, conjured up an unconquestable force of, quote, monster from the id hearing this one of the astronauts inquired without hesitation quote what's the id the people that made solaris may be beyond such inspired silliness but pomposity is no fair substitute so that was the one negative review of the time ironically it should also be noted that in uh tarkovsky's autobiography he says he viewed solaris as an artistic failure because it did not transcend the genre in the way that he believed uh his film stalker which came out in 1979 did due to technological dialogue and some of the special effects so that's the og solaris so let's head to the more modern version and may i intercede and just say stalker is a great movie Mm -hmm. i'm a fan of tarkovsky I like Andre Rublev, uh, but I loved uh, Stalker. He's he's great. That like I'm 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 not gonna slam him in this episode. I'm just gonna say, I think one guy made a better version of this book than the other guy. Yes. So let's get to that other version of filmed Solaris. Solaris is also a 2002 film written and directed by Steven Soderbergh who also was the editor and cinematographer for the film under pseudonyms. And it was produced by James Cameron. Peter Andrews and Mary Ann Edwards? I believe so. Yeah. The film stars George Clooney as Chris Kelvin mm-hmm. and Natasha McElone as Rhea, a.k.a. the Hari role. Jeremy yes. Davies plays Snow, a.k.a. the Snout role. And Viola Davis plays Gordon, a.k.a. the Solaris role. Jason's fave Cliff Martinez scored this film. Yes. Soderbergh has made it clear that his goal was not to remake Tarkovsky's film, but to try a different adaptation of Lem's novel. The new Solaris basically has the same core plot of the original, only streamlined, Instead of the Soviet government running the space station, the psychologist Kelvin is contacted by DBA, a corporate entity operating the space station outside of Solaris. Most of the other major plot points are fairly similar. There's, you know, a lot of differences in it, but essentially it's a lot of the same beats. Yeah. The film was released on November 29th, 2002. It was a box office flop, only making $30 million against a $47 million budget. And before we get into some of the critical reception of that movie, Jason, what's kind of your relationship with the Solaris movies, the Solaris book? What's your Solaris background, so to speak? Okay, so my Solaris background is, and I don't want to make this too long-winded, but 
when I was growing up as a teenager, I used to, we had a three a floor house and I had kind of the run of the basement level. So I had my, my bedroom at one end and then like what you call a den at the other. So I would just spend like every Friday in the den on the couch watching TV, usually AMC when they showed movies, <laughs> if you can imagine. And um, this came on randomly and I was entranced. Like, and I don't think I even had an awareness of Soderbergh at that point, who has since become like, like toggling for my favorite director of all time. He's one um, of your guys. You're you're a Michael Mann man. You're a Soderbergh, Soldierberg. Yeah, those are... those are my two guys that are they're like what uh, you know, rock and sock and robots for number one spot. But at that point, I'd probably only seen like Aaron Brockovich, and then I think Ocean's Eleven, which I think is like the blank check that gets him to make this mm -hmm. right because he's got Clooney. He's got Cameron. They're like, oh, this will make money. Motion's 11 was a huge hit. And it's like, oh, well, mm, mm, not so much. Uh, <laughs> um, right. Yeah, but no, I saw it on cable and I was just like, what is this movie? Like, it's, yeah, it's it's enchanting and haunting and, and cool. Yeah, and I think you mentioned actually on our Neon David episode, because we were talking about Cliff Martinez, that you were like, and we'll get into this more, but you were just like hooked by the soundtrack also, like pretty immediately on the Oh yeah, watch. no, we'll talk we'll talk about that. Yeah. So then did you go back and see the original movie or did you read the book or what was your process? I I didn't do either of those until college. And I think I read the book in between seeing the uh Tarkovsky version. And it's really fascinating how many different ways you can interpret this story and how much these filmmakers took this idea and were like, yeah, we're not really going to do that kind of, <laughs> you know, you, you see that sometimes with the adaptations. I think it's one of the most interesting ones. Right. Frankly. Yeah. So as I set up, the newer version was not heralded in the same way that the original, which is just like, an outpouring of critical and audience response for it just came. It's a far cry from the original's 90 percenters on Rotten Tomato. Soderbergh Solaris is 60% on Rotten Tomatoes, 70% among top critics, but has an audience score of only 59%. And it's one of those things, reading the reviews for the newer Solaris is very interesting on a lot of levels because first off the original, it's just like there, I found like one pe person who didn't like it essentially. And in right. the new one, it's a lot of people that absolutely love it. And a lot of people that absolutely hate it. And the thing that seems to connect the two of them is a lack of familiarity with the original and this like source material, because the people that hate it are like, this is so like pompous and long and like, you know, it's just like the things that would be an easier criticism of the original movie. I thought you were outing me for a second, but I, I think you're saying the opposite. Right. And then the people that really loved it seem to be like, totally. They're like, this is new and fresh and exciting. And it's just like, well, there's also like another movie version of this, which is a sci-fi classic. And you should probably like be aware of that as a, 
film critic. Anyway, I'll get into oh, that. So you are outing me. Okay, it's fine. It, it's a we'll little get bit into of it. it's a little bit of both. It's a little. I'm not necessarily outing anybody. So the people that hated it really didn't like it. Susan Stark of Detroit News gave it a zero star rating, calling Jesus. it the most opaque, self indulgent, and just plain goofy exercise for a movie as you can imagine. What? Uh, Rex, (laughs) the Observer's Rex Reed called it a fiasco of infuriating pretentiousness and numbing incoherence. Wow. Uh, Dallas Morning News is Philip Wunsch wrote, its audacious ambition sabotaged by pomposity, Steven Soderbergh's space opera emerges as a numbingly dull experience. Okay, to your point, were these people, like, children when the first one came out? Like, had they even seen it? So, yeah, that that's my thing, is I don't... It's, a lot of these, it's just like, I can't imagine you writing this if you've seen the first one. <clears throat> right, right. So, that... And then we'll get like, to... Like, it the, is a crazy movie to come out in, like, 2001 or whatever, but... Right, 2002. Yeah. But, yeah, we will... 2002, yeah. We will get to that. Uh, a couple more of the negative. Jonathan Rosenbaum of... The Chicago reader bristled. Soderbergh tends to place most of his psychological and philosophical material into italics rather than trust the audience's intelligence. And he creates an overall sense of brusqueness. What? (laughs) Okay, we're almost almost done. And two Washington Post writers did not like it. Desson Thompson and Stephen Hunter respectively saying, quote, Although it's meant to be restrained and free of emotional hysteria, the result is a movie that pretty much lies dead on the screen for an hour and a half. That was one quote. The other one called it one for graduate students who know everything about movies except how to enjoy them. Wow. What the fuck? Okay. Wow. <laughs> okay. Now, now we need to get to the positive. Cause again, this was like a weirdly polarizing movie. There are people that liked it. John Anderson of Newsday gave it four out of four stars, calling it a return to what sci-fi was meant to be. Not a way to titillate teenage boys, but a means of finding a context for complex human issues. Man, critics used to be weird. (laughs) Roger Moore of the Orlando Sentinel gave it five stars and called it the smartest science fiction film since Blade Runner. And yes, that includes The Matrix. Wrong, but okay. (laughs) Uh, Peter Travers of Rolling Stone uh, gave it a perfect score, calling it a mind bender in the best sense of the word. The spell it casts will follow you all the way home. It's Peter Travers. (laughs) Yeah. In 2010, and again, we can brussel with this a little bit, but in 2010, Time named it one of the 10 best Hollywood remakes. Oh, absolutely. But again, it's remake-ish. Right, exactly. I mean, if it makes a list, it makes a list. I'm fine with that. I'm happy with that. It's a re-adaptation, but if you want to call it a remake and put it on your top 10, please. There are people that kind of agree with Jason's plight that the newer version is better specifically in their reviews, talked about it. Andrew Saris of The Observer opined... I prefer Soderbergh's concentration on his two lovers over Tarkovsky's mostly male, mostly patriarchal debating societies. 
And very aligning with Jason's purposes, uh, Time Out's film guide, in Time Out's film guide, Jeff Andrew said, Hazarding another movie inspired by Stanislaw Lem's novel might seem folly when Tarkovsky's 1972 version still boasts cult appeal, but Soderbergh's movie beats its predecessor in virtually every respect. It's not only richer and more rigorous philosophically than the Russian's woolly musings, it also has an emotional force barely there in Tarkovsky. More significantly, it's probably the finest, certainly the most stylish sci-fi film in years. Clooney and McKellen are both immensely impressive. Scripted, shot, directed, and edited by Soderbergh with his customary intelligence and assurance, this is perhaps the most ambiguous and cerebrally sophisticated Hollywood movie in nearly three decades. That might be overselling it, but Andrew Saris nails it on the fucking head because i'll t- i'll tell you this because i rewatched it last night with uh for those of you listening at home there the dvd has a commentary that is george clooney and producer james cameron talking about the movie and the process and all this stuff it's really fascinating it's like actually probably my favorite movie commentary in existence but cameron points out how female audience members and male audience members responded to the movie equally even if you know you know audience scores were lower or whatever but in a way because the tarkovsky movie is just about how the guy views the girl and you know his the girl i'm sorry his wife his dead wife and she doesn't have a lot of agency or, or identity, really, in the whole movie. But in the Soderbergh version, it's a whole different scenario. Like, she's a whole character. Right. And I, I, I don't think I put this on my bullet points, but they have, like, a whole backstory that you find out about. And that is completely absent from the Tarkovsky version. Right. And, and, and in the Soderbergh one, you find out, like, why she dies but you also see the start of their relationship you see it evolve and change and and get bad in this series of flashbacks which he's you know so good at kind of intercutting into things and it's so much richer on an emotional level in the tarkovsky version she's you know just this sort of you know uh isotopic figure right right okay so yeah before we totally launch into it I'll yeah. just end with a quote, the review of the new one from Roger Ebert, who is, I think, the only person who saw both and reviewed both at the time when they came out. Whoa, yeah. You're so right. I really, and I think his perspective is pretty good because he gave, you know, I mentioned before, he like said, oh, this is kind of slow, but I get hooked into the original he gave the original a three star review he gave the newer one three and a half stars review writing when i saw tarkovsky's original film i felt absorbed in it as if it were a sponge it was slow mysterious confusing and i have never forgotten it soderbergh's version is more clean and spar more easily readable but it pays full attention to the ideas and doesn't compromise tarkovsky was a genius but one who demanded great patience from his audience as he ponderously marched towards his goals. 
the Soderbergh version is like the same story freed from the weight of Tarkovsky's solemnity. And it evokes one of the rarest movie emotions, ironic regret. So Jason, why is everyone wrong about the original Solaris being the superior version? Well, I know it's like the popular, you know, film snob um, pick, and I know it has a Criterion spine and all that stuff. And the um, Soderbergh one is largely forgotten and like kind of hard to find, unfortunately. Yeah, um, I had to go out of my way and rent it because it wasn't, you know, it's not on any streaming services right now or anything like that. Yeah, it's a drag. I don't even know if it's on Blu-ray, but let's just launch into the points and I'll, I'll, I'll go on my tangents. I'm, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, I will say, so I should probably set up for me, having seen both recently, I had not seen either of them. I prefer Soderbergh's version, but it's also not like a massive gap between the two. And I'm, I'm kind of in the middle where it's right. like one is like a three and a half star movie for me and the other is like a three star movie. Or maybe you could talk me up a half star on each of them. But like, you know, they're both good movies and they do things totally different ways. And some of the things work. I think there's some things that work in the original that don't work as well in the Soderbergh one, but I would rather like sit down and watch the Soderbergh one again, if you force me to right now. Um, so right. The- I, yeah, I guess I would like one thing I, I, I guess would be a good preface is, and you know, I don't remember it super well, but I read the book like 10, 15 years ago and it's, it's so different from either version. It's very um, wonky, mm-hmm. I guess would be a good word. Like, it's very concerned with like the science of like how Solaris works and like how these beings are, are, are these apparitions are happening and all this stuff. And that's pretty absent from both. Um, you get a little more of it in the Tarkovsky version, but it's kind of bullshit science. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. I think we can actually launch into one of the points with that is one of your points of defense is, sort of the adaptation and interpretation that can be found, the difference between the two versions. And I should state that, you know, it's based on Lem's novel and Lem did not really like either of these versions. No, no, he hated them. I liked that he, for the original one, for Tarkovsky's, he said that Tarkovsky made crime and punishment rather than Solaris. So that was his like dig at, it, yeah, there's like a need, needless like Tolstoy reference. It's yeah, he adds so much unnecessary bullshit. Uh, it kind of reminds me of like if Hodorowsky's Dune had gotten made. Mm-hmm. Is like kind of what Tarkovsky's Solaris is. It's just like, wow, somebody spent a lot of money for you to just like jack off. Um, <laughs> so- and, and, and some of it's great. And some of it's just like interminable. Yeah. So, so kind of to the. Or inexplicable. Yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah. In terms of adaptation, it's just like, well, what's going on with a bunch of this shit? Like, I know that they had to like pay the government of Tokyo for all those driving scenes at the beginning, but it's like, what? what? Why? Yeah. The, the So the original version, there's very. It's very dense in like a like you're not given a lot of the details on what's happening for like the first right. hour and a half of the movie. 
Like it's very little location establishment, why things are happening, which does not happen in the newer version. Um, you get no, pretty it's a lot. Quick. It's a lot on Earth. He's doing a lot of his like nature photography crap, which is cool. <laughs> I use crap uh, affectionately. It's very beautiful. It's just very like slow. Right, like the, the like, movie sort of, like, opens Terrence on Malachi. like on like plants moving under like a pond near yeah. uh, Kelvin's house, and you're just like, oh, it's yeah. very slow and yeah, and yeah. And spoiler alert, it like basically ends the same way. Yeah. Um, we will we will like, talk it, about what happens in this movie. So because there's lots okay. of twists and turns. So if you haven't seen it, you can spend you know a I guess like about four hours watching these two movies. Uh, well, I mean, it's not that complicated of, no. of a plot, right? But I feel like the Tarkovsky one makes it feel complicated because it's so stretched out, and I don't know why. And it adds all these weird elements, like when they start like floating in the I don't know, like dining room that inexplic- yeah, gr- like gra- inexplicably, inexplicably like the- gravity, like. First one scene, like gravity needs to be like shut down for like fifteen seconds, and but and why is there that weird dining room on that yeah, <laughs> space station anyway? Like it's yes, so weird. There, so yeah, the, there's a lot in this adaptation in the adaptations where it's just you know it's a lot cleaner of an adaptation. I feel like even if it's not a faithful adaptation in the newer version, right. It's 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 very European, is a pejorative way to put it. But like, it feels yeah, it, it is not not only it, European. It, it does feel like Russian Soviet in the way that like, you know, like the classic Russian novels are just these huge tomes. Like it's a war and right, peace right. thing where you're having to like, you know, it soldier has to be through. three hours. Right. Yeah. Like, we have yeah. to have it like that. But also, like, I'm, uh, you know, there's moments where you're like, just like, what, what am I looking at, and why, and you don't find out. Yeah, you know? it seemed like, you know, we were talking about how this was Tarkovsky's response to 2001, and it seems like he's intentionally pushing back in some ways against the things that like are interesting in like 2001, like, <laughs> oh, right. like you're focusing on like the cool spacewalk and all this like shiny technology and it feels a lot more you know uh streamlined and things like that and he's pushing back against it to be like this is hard cold quote science and we're going to deal with like the emotions of people like people matter more in science fiction than like gonna watch a like a bunch of drunk russians argue about philosophy right for two and a half hours inside a derelict space station yeah it's funny you say that because, like, you know, uh, the remake is also clearly indebted to 2001 in, like, some major ways. Oh, yeah. Like, there's a huge docking sequence and, like, the font is, like, absolutely the 2001 font um, that they used in the marketing and the end, end titles and everything. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I've got the, you know, I've got the DVD right here. It's, like, you know, that's, like, absolutely trying to be, like, 2001, right? You yeah. Know? It's just a, you know, this is a sp- Clooney in a space helmet of... with reflections and yeah while we're talking about kind of the adaptation part of that adaptation is just the length and kind of the editing of this movie of the two yes. movies and yes. how they differ and just for 
a quick like background the original is so long it's it's so long yeah. it's broken up into two parts like the first part is an hour and 19 minutes and the second part is like an hour and 27 minutes and yeah. there are just scenes where like nothing happens yes absolutely that's my biggest knock against it it's just like why is this so long like i said there's that fucking needless montage of driving yeah that so there's goes a, on there, for so long there's a, it's like not even a, a crucial character <laughs> no he's like a side it's like a side character who never shows up again but we ha- we get to watch him drive through i think it's tokyo or hong kong for like Six minutes. It's, it's just like it's one of the crazier things I've seen in a movie in a long time. For those who haven't seen it, basically these the way that this the original movie is set up is like there's this person who came back from Solaris and is like testifying in front of like the Soviet Council or whatever about all the things that he happened and it's like, Oh, I, so there was a weird tall man on the planet and all these things. And he's at Kelvin's house and basically like prepping Kelvin to go to the, up to the Solaris station. And after he's done at Kelvin's house, he goes on a car ride essentially. And it's just him driving for, Again, it's like so, minutes yeah. and minutes and minutes. <laughs> so where long. nothing ha- so like weird. no like there's nothing happening. It's just him driving. He doesn't this is the end of him in the movie. Yeah. And it is So he's you know, he's driving for like five minutes, and this is all like it goes on forever. In I don't think that like they get to the space station until like in somewhere in the, like the fifty minute, like it takes forever for them. Oh, in the original. much much longer, I think. Um, which is yeah, one of the things I really like about the remake. It's like he gets to space like pretty much right away. He gets to space. Like, I, I marked it. He got to. They get to the station within nine minutes. So if you basically, you go, yeah, if you double the like driving scene, <laughs> it would be like, oh, he's already at the space station. But the driving scene is after the in incredibly long like yeah, deposition scene right. you're talking about where i'm just like oh my god this is going on forever and that's like after a scene where we're introduced to our our protagonist you know leisurely walking around a pond in 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 a one for like so long and then you meet this guy and you're like is that his friend? Like, who is that? And, and then, then he has like, like oh, a... is that his dad? And like, yeah. you, you spend a while like figuring that out. And then he and has, then... there's kids, yeah. but they don't really matter. There's like, he no. has like a daughter, I think. And then the other guy has a son that they bring and they're like, you go play. It's just like, this is nothing. This has nothing to do with it. Anything. No. <laughs> and I don't know if that's in the book. I don't remember, but I highly doubt it. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's just like weird indulgence on his part. There's like the part like so the film is broke up into part one and part two and the right in the original one and part one it basically like fades to black at an hour and 19 minutes and actually the Soderbergh's one does a fade to black kind of at the same point it's when he launches her into space 
and his is oh, at. I hadn't realized that. That's, yeah, that's they cool. they both fade at the same point. It one is at an hour and nineteen minutes. The other is at thirty four minutes. So it's just <laughs> the pace of this is. It's really, it's really a big ask to deal with the pace of the original movie, and it's one of those things yeah. where La- languid is the word I would use. Yeah, it's hard. So as somebody who just recently saw the original Solaris, but I am familiar with like film, really film people like friends of mine and things like that. And they have it, you know, I check like letterbox and it's like, Oh, if you look at letterbox, it's like, Oh, it's all like five star and four and a half star rankings. And this feels like one of those movies where I'm not saying it's a bad movie. I'm saying it feels like one of those movies where people feel like they have to like it five stars. Like, or or you're not like a serious film person. If you're like, "Eh, this is like kind of slow and like boring for a lot of parts. Or like, um, you know, you took a film class in college and like you had to sit there and finish the thing. Right. So you're like, Oh wow, that was amazing. But if you're a normal human being, you'd be like, I need to get up and pee. Like, this is like, so what is happening? When you watch the Soderbergh version and you get a sense of what the story is supposed to be, you realize how streamlined it can be. Mm -hmm. And then (laughs) you think about watching like a three hour version of that where like there's all this unnecessary crap. Mm-hmm. And it's like, wh- wh- why? Why is that in there? Yeah, you know, it's just it's just a movie that's asking you to endure. And there's a couple things that the length like fleshes out. I think a little bit better than the original. Like I, in some ways, you do like feel like oh the, you, the you madness get, coming on. Yeah, you get the, the madness media. and yeah. you feel the yeah. endurance and like. Hari in the original the wife character uh, the projection one you get to it's not as like rushed of her like finding out like trying to like wrestle with like what she is like in the Soderbergh version it's a little bit like okay she's getting it like pretty quick and like kind of spiraling because of that Yeah, like like version 2.0 is like Oh my god. Yeah. And in the original it's like there is more time that they like build the relationship with like just he's like, like she's she's a human. We can't kill her. Right. Yeah. 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 Where it's a lot it's a lot quicker and not always the best way in the new newer one, but it you don't you don't feel lost. You don't feel it's not something you would probably notice as much if you had like been in the longer one. And you know, there's a couple scenes where I like Oh, I would have liked to see that one in the. But again, I don't know if it's from Lem's novel because I haven't read that. But like the when the original when she like crashes through the door that's locked, right? And then she's like scarred up, and then it's like oh, she's like healing herself, and it kind of sets up the like uh, resurrection mm-hmm. scene later when it's like oh, that's a cool scene that I like could have been in the newer version too, a version of that. That was like, oh, I actually like felt like that scene had a lot of impact in the original one. But for the most part, it's just the guys philosophizing and yelling at each other about existence. And it's kind of a drag. 
the breaking of the door scene was in the remake, but they cut it out. Oh. So, but if you rewatch the scene where he's like kind of having his fever dream, which is like also a thing that happens in in, in um, the Tarkovsky version, but it's like <laughs> lasts forever. He's like, there's like a long pan around the room and you see like a busted up version of his uh, the door to his cabin. So like they shot it and they just kept that one shot because they wanted to treat the resurrection differently, I guess. Right. Yeah. I mean, so there's there's reasons. I do think the original gains a little bit from some of its long run time, but it's just like not worth it. Like the 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 things that it does better, it's not doing like you want to watch another hour of this movie better. Right, exactly. Do you want to explain the pre- have we explained the premise of this movie? We I did. guess we have. Yeah, we did. So it's just that the Solaris is taking the dreams of the people on the space station and creating people from their past lives and manifesting them in like non-human human form. Right, but they think they're human. Right. And they they as they become more human, every time they die, they get more memories of that person. Yeah, they're they're all all their all the new versions of the people are only tapping into the memories of the person that's on the space station. So it's very limited in that sense, where they're just like trying to sort of piece together what they are and they're remembering some of the things it's like oh yeah i used to we met at this place like they they remember their history but not their full history it's like wait why are you acting weird that i'm here and they like don't know it's because the person is dead and then they like if you like inject them into space and then they come back and they're like i remember more now and it's like it's like even more of a it's, yeah so emotional it's, pressure. It's like Solaris uh, is building up the memory in these characters yeah. to torture these scientists that are experimenting. And that that's another note on the original. It's like they're they bring up the part that they're like bombarding the planet with X rays. And in the, yeah, I thought that was so weird. And that's was, like why they're rea- why the planet's reacting. And in the new one, it's kind of just like not explained. It's just like. We're around Solaris, and Solaris is, like, fucking with us. I like that better, and I think that, if I remember correctly, that's how it is in the book. It's, like, not, like, a thing where, like, they were doing a science experiment. It was just, like, we found this weird planet, and it's messing with us. Yeah, it it does feel like there's sort of sort of some like Godzilla thing where it's just like, oh, we're messing with x-rays at, like in the Russian, right. in the Soviet version where you're like, oh, it's our fault. It's man using technology and damn us. And it's l- definitely not that in the newer version. Well, don't they say like they're made of micrinos? I'm like, that's not how that works. They're like that made of atoms. They're made of micrinos. I'm the like, science of um... the, like how the characters are there <laughs> is always a little you know, sketchy jargony where you're like, "Uh, okay, I'm just going to go with like, they're not made of flesh and blood. And like, you could tell the scientists could tell that. So that's why they're like freaked out. But like, they're ghosts. It's fine. Yeah. They're ghosts that you can touch. 
so moving on to the next point of defense for the newer Solaris you have is tone. That's another one I think we maybe covered already, but it's okay. So they're both kind of like we're kind of we're kind of blurring. We're kind of blurring all these. Like the first three points are kind of we're all blurring them all together. So it's not a uh, it's not a big deal. We're you get it. So there, yeah, there's somber movies, but you know, um, the Tarkovsky one is a, a bit more, like I said, languid and psychedelic and overtly philosophical where these whereas the Soderbergh ones like sort of you know implies ideas but it doesn't ask as much of you or like lecture you you know it just sort of presents you with this thing it's like hey figure it out you know right and I think it also plays more strongly as kind of like a suspense movie at least in like the first third and you know in in sections as a horror movie but also most strongly as a beautiful romance, which is like completely absent from the Tarkovsky one. Right. The original is like, yeah, yeah it's like about like radiation and science and the newer ones, like it, the core of the movie is a romance. Right. Which I think was his whole take, right? He's like, I'm going to remake this, but I'm going to, it's going to be just about like the power of love and like mm-hmm. why this would be so like brutal to deal with. And I really like that about it. And I think it's really well done. I think it's actually one of Soderbergh's strong suits. You know, it reminds me of like Out of Sight. Um, He uses a lot of the same editing techniques and stuff. Like Mm -hmm. you just like, you you get the impression that like these people were very much in love and it went bad. (laughs) And uh, it absolutely crushed this dude. And now he has to deal with the ghost of his, you know, that's a good thing to point out if I hadn't already is um, this movie gives a reason for why the wife is dead. Whereas it's who fucking knows in the Tarkovsky well, the, one. In right? the Tarkovsky one, they, they basically say that he left and there was something in like the fridge and she like injected herself with it to kill herself. So it, okay. it is, it is mentioned, I, I missed that part, but yeah. it's like not, like one of the things is he looks at the arm and there's like the spot where she injected. Oh like yeah, okay, the her, spot, sure. Her yeah. like whatever. But like, why was... did she do that? Right. It know? was basically just like, oh, they were like distant. It kind of seems like. Right. And so, uh, talking to that point, I think one of the crazy things is, despite being so much shorter, the new version has so much more relationship background through all those flashback edits that you talked about and yeah it's it really well establishes their relationship and then they're falling out it's either done in her dream sequence his dream sequences or her like sitting like sort of remembering it exactly coming in flash which is so cool yeah right and like to, to further elaborate basically like he wants a kid she gets pregnant. She doesn't want a kid. She gets pregnant. She has an abortion. He's mad about it. And she commits suicide. So that's like the grief he's dealing with. Right. Which is a lot. Um, and he's a psychiatrist. So, yeah, you know. he, he he's a psychiatrist. I also feel like it's worth pointing out that like he's kind of like does a really shitty job being a psychiatrist to like his own relationship. Because there's like it's established yes, it's that true. like her family, like her mom is kind of crazy, and they have a 
history of like mental illness in the family. And then he's like in this very emotional, emotional moment, just like snaps and is like, (laughs) just does not like even factor in like, Oh, maybe I should, uh, chill a little bit on this. (laughs) Yeah. I'm a psychologist and I like know all the baggage that you have here. And yeah, that's another good point is that like his friend though, um, Bogovian, Jabovian, Gabarian, I think. I don't know. Uh, Gabarian, yeah. Um, like that, they have like a whole relationship in this, in the Soderbergh version. Yeah. Basically, um, the reason why Kelvin is called is because Gabarian, like, is essentially like, hey, you should come help. Like, this is weird. Yeah. And like, that's not in the Tarkovsky version at all. But like in the Soderbergh one, you like you get like scenes of them like being pals on Earth, so you're like, okay, like I get why this guy would do this crazy thing, you know, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to like watching like 25 minutes of like lecture footage, right? Just being like, you have to go because we're the Soviet government and we're telling you to right. in this like yeah, very yeah. like oppressive Cold War thing made by the Soviets. So it's not like it's right, not like right. I'm like being propagandize saying that it's like oppressive soviets like oh no the point is like it's oppressive soviets right which is impressive that they uh, allowed it to be released because because right. yeah it's, it's not exactly you know favorable to uh the climate at the time yeah and speaking to the tone i think there's one line in the soderbergh version where after he realizes calvin realizes like oh this is a new version and um viola davis's character is like look we're getting rid of this and she says don't turn a scientific problem into a common love story which is kind of like the summation of the movie yes is not is not present in the original no that one's just sort of like oh man my wife came back and i'm horny and like i'm weirdly sweaty the whole time yeah, the tone and, in the original, uh, <laughs> there's a lot. Like, it starts as, like, a sleepy nature doc, almost. Like, that's how it feels yeah, when you're exactly. at the yeah, pond totally. by the home. There's lots of, like, scenes where it's, like, just... It's not totally clear if it's, like... Like, in the newer version, you can totally tell, oh, this is the dream sequence where he's flashing back. Yes. In the old one, it's, like, oh, sometimes it's just, like, the frame is, like, bluish gray. Like, the whole thing is, like... In like an Instagram, that's kind of a Tarkovsky thing. Like he keeps like changing the tint. Yeah, um, that's like one of his moves. And I'm like, okay, whatever, bro. But like, yeah, what is like that scene with the painting? Or like, why is that horse important? You know, like... right? There's lots of things they go into. Yeah, they they examine what's the painting. I have the name of it. They go into a whole scene where it's the hunters in the snow by. Peter Burgill, the elder, which is just a famous painting. And they have a version of it or the original, I don't know, on the space station. And it's like, yeah, Harry examining it for like a long time and just like looking it over. And like, is this supposed to be philosophical? I don't know. There's a lot of like, I don't know what I'm supposed to feel like at the original, like when he first gets to the station, you're like, oh, this is like kind of paranoid and you get like that vibe. But then a lot of the rest of the movie is like him snapping really quick from being so paranoid. And then what exactly am I supposed to feel in this thing? And what is the message you're trying to get across? And it's very dense in a 
trying to be difficultly dense way it feels like absolutely and like plot wise spoiler alert like i had a very hard time with the original knowing who was or was not a duplicate yeah and it's it becomes very clear in the Soderbergh one it's like an awesome twist actually in in the third act that pays off very well and it's like set up very well if you watch it a second time but i like was snout a duplicate i don't know like they have a thing when they first go into snout's room there's like somebody in the hammock but they like never bring like he can see an ear of somebody like in the room but like they never bring it, it back. And there's a like there's a thing where we're gonna get like a little person. Yeah, Satoris. <laughs> there's a little person that like is in his lab when he won't open the door. That he's like, it runs out. He's like, I'm snatching you back. So like, is that his? But person? when they're all having like dinner together, I was like, oh, so they're all, you know, projections of Solaris except for uh, Kelvin. I assumed. It's, right. I don't. I I honestly don't know. It's, yeah right it, it I, feels I, I, I guess for people that are like more you know that haven't seen the original it feels the original feels science fiction to kind of in the like it's sort of a proto shane caruth type movie or like an annihilation like one of those science fiction movies where you're like i'm not exactly sure what happened even after you watch it where you're like what am i what was i supposed to like there was some interesting stuff but like what what's the message here yeah like i hope they they knew what they're doing i hope you think it's like how i how i feel about like 50 percent of david lynch movies where i'm like look there might be an idea behind this or it just might be like hmm. i'm throwing together let's, cool let's visuals and things yeah, that yeah. like seem mysterious and like it's like right. might be just a bunch of like magician hand waving and you're like oh that's <laughs> right, that's deep right. and you're like i'm is it is it or is it just kind of you don't want to be like this is nonsense some of this because it right. will make you feel not, like not you're on dumb. film twitter yeah exactly right. <laughs> right and and yet i guess one of the other just I, I tonal things that i actually like from the original is i like the new one is very sleek but i kind of like how beat up the space station is in the original it's kind it's of cool. like it's like yeah. cre- like it's very 70s like kind of crappy like beat up like worn down station where the like new one it's basically like a pristine station there's like some like you can tell that like some crap has happened here but like it's still very like sleek kind of like lens it's like the modernist yeah Yeah. like sort of typical sci-fi kind of minimalist thing i think i think it's a very good example of that in in its defense but yeah i love the 70s chic of of that weird space station and crazy hallways and bedrooms and everything right um and that that weird room with like the canted whatever those are that like you're saying it's like so fucked up (laughs) that so many scenes take place in yeah it's 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 cool it like it's across more the idea of the like decrepitude of the station than um the remake does or right it seems like it seems like the the in the original one you're like oh shit has gone down here like there's like there was been lots of it establishes more like oh there's been lots of scientists here and lots of them haven't made it and it's weird and like it's more like a 
environment for paranoia in like a traditional sense where you're like, I feel yes. like something could come through the door at any moment. And you're not, you don't really feel that as much in the newer one though. The newer one also then, you know, again, tone speaking wise, like it's does a lot better job talking about like predetermination and like all the, like the phys- right. philosophical ideas in that sense. So yeah, it, it kind of goes, there's things that each movie does a little bit better, but it's just a taste thing, I guess. Yeah. Right. In terms of like spookiness, you know, the best a new one gets is like, everything's clean, but there's some blood in some spots. Like what's that about? You know, and we're not going to resolve that for, you know, 45 minutes or whatever. Right. So. All right. And another key point for you in favor of the new one is the performances. Yes, absolutely. Not that the the ones in in the original are, are bad by any stretch of the imagination, but I think this is one of George Clooney's best performances by far. But you've also got Viola Davis, early, early Viola early Davis. Early Viola Davis in a good, like, the classic, like, oh, you could just cast people for different roles. Like, they don't have to all be, yeah. like, white dudes in space. <laughs> There's right. nothing about the original character that needed to be a guy. And she's she's so good at being that, like, assertive person. Like, that's exactly who you need. You need Viola Davis. You need Amanda Waller, you know? Also, like Jeremy Davies, <laughs> Jeremy doing Davies the most is a delight. Jeremy Davies he's ever done, like being so Jeremy Davies. It's like the, my like I love that performance. He's crazy in this movie. So yeah, he's like he's like the weird like computer guy. Like when he when Clooney first walks in on it, he's listening to like a loop of like it's like cra- yeah. I was gonna say insane. <laughs> cloud music i didn't know if it was specifically icp but it sounded like icp where it's just like dark carnival music and he's just like kind of like twitchy and like constantly moving his hands yeah he's just a lot's happening and he's kind of like sort of in like that woe man like all the time he's like ah yeah like well if you if it's a lot to deal with if I can spoil a thing for the listeners. Go ahead. Now we will talk about the spoiler of the end of the newer version. So, well, A, here's a fun fact, is that he got hired because um, Soderbergh saw an audition tape he'd made for uh, playing Charles Manson. And he's like, oh, this is my guy. He's got <laughs> um, really good Manson vibes in this movie. He, he does. And then B, he it turns out that he's like a a, a replica. He's like a, you know solaris creation so he didn't get to know his guy for longer than like 30 seconds before he killed him yeah they find so they find it, yeah. the uh his the the real dude in like the vents like his corpse frozen right so like he doesn't know how to act like him or how to act like totally a human person. right Right, so that's why he's like so fucking weird, is like the explanation. Right, but also I feel like he would have played it that way either way. Yeah, and it, I mean you can parallel a lot of the just performances, and I know some of it's probably, admittedly, like the 
foreign language curve where it's like, oh, I might not be picking up on some of the nuances of some of the original Soviet version because I'm having to read like really complex like pseudoscience text and I'm like maybe missing a few of the nuances. But like Viola's character, the original uh, Satoru's character is just like this bead like evil guy and like Viola. Yeah, he's just like not fun. It's like never fun when he's on screen. And Viola is more like she's just like very confident that like Solaris is bad and she's not like evil about it, but she's just like, dude, she's she's right. Right. (laughs) You know, that's the thing. She's like, I know what's going on. Um, and I should also, it, it, it bears mentioning that um, Natasha McKellon, who's like an underrated and underutilized actress, is really good in this. Um, right. I think that actually the, I would say the, the, the best, like across both movies is the Hari slash Rhea character. I think like in comparison, like, cause a lot of the original ones I don't like, I actually feel like. Uh, Bonder Chuck in the original is like pretty good as Hari, and mm-hmm. but Rhea's character, it's just like a lot again, it's dealing with like the romantic aspect, and there's just so much more like intrigue that she brings to the role, often without saying a lot. She is a big, like, I have huge eyes, and I'm just going to emote with my huge exactly. eyes, exactly. And like, and and you have this rich backstory that she gets to play out. Um, that is totally absent from the first movie. So like, she gets real acting opportunities, and there is they both have that weird scene where they have like milky tears. I don't know if that's just because they have so much like foundation on, mm-hmm. but it's it's a it's a weird parallel. But the the their performances don't actually overlap that much in terms of like like I said, they cut out the like door breaking, but they do do the you know. Um, poisoning and resurrection thing. Yeah, I would say I, I will say I think I prefer the original's resurrection. I just feel like she was so much it, more like jerky so and weird. Like it's so, so good. It's so good considering like you're just it's you like, just have yeah. to do that with your body and the way that uh, Bonduchuk moves her body as like resurrected Hari is just like oh like you're just like it gives you like shivers. You're like ooh ooh. Like, no, I agree. It's like some like giallo shit or something. It was just like I don't know. That was my best. That was my favorite like performance moment in the original. And I do think like you know it's a lot of the things that stick out in the original are kind of more the bit parts. Like I think the Gabarian's like suicide note, the way that he like delivers that. That's oh uh, yeah yeah yeah. skin. Sar- I don't know. I yeah, yeah, my yeah. names. But uh, he's just like super eerie. In a way that, like the in the newer one, the Gabarian's a little bit more composed, and even the yeah, guy he's who's like genial almost, yeah. yeah. And even the unease that uh, Burton, who's the guy who drives around for no reason, who's uh, Radislav Dorzahetsky, is he's like again, like I feel like the paranoia and the original one is set up a lot more like he's just like so freaked out when he's delivering the report that like it's the one part of that that makes it bearable is that like he's really doing a good job feeling like oh something's seriously wrong up there because if not you're just going through this interminable report (laughs) and right and he makes it more bearable but i mean again and the core is just like Clooney is just so much more charming (laughs) 
I mean, he's just yes. like so much. It's like kind of cliche, but he's just like so much more of a movie star than the original Kelvin. Well, the, you, you don't get to see the original Kelvin with his wife, which is like right. the innovation Soderbergh provides. Where it's like, oh, we should put in some charming Clooney scenes in this movie to contrast with the scenes where he's like totally harrowed and stressed out and like, you know, sending his wife off to her death in a space pod, <laughs> you know? But I do think that that main guy, whose name I don't know. It's uh, Benorius or something, so, something close okay. to him. I think he's quite good in several scenes, but in that last scene um, in the movie in particular, I was just like, wow, okay, that's like pretty moving. I also don't think I quite understand what's going on, but So the, okay. you should probably describe the very last scene of the original movie. Okay, so... so okay so he we cut to earth quote-unquote earth so that they in theory he's he's left he's left the space station he's left solaris he's gone because they they in both movies they bombard the planet with some molecules or something to like get the creatures visitors to go away and then they're like okay we need to get off the planet right that's in both movies yes so he's back home he spends a very long time walking around uh, a lake he loves walking around his little pond yes yes it's a pond yes he shows back up at his dad's house which is inexplicably like leaking a bunch of water he should really do something about that and also yeah those guys really like to stand outside in the rain <laughs> i thought that was so weird because that happens at the beginning as well. And he just kind of like leans up against the, you know, the the uh, uh, door there and, and looks very emotional and comes inside. And we zoom out and it appears that the estate is engulfed in the waves of Solaris. So like he didn't actually leave the he's, planet. It's just like this, this little like island on Solaris now that he's paradise on. for him, which is so. And, and, and that's a crucial difference from the Soderbergh version, which is like... The endings are very different of these two movies. Very different. You do get the impression, not right away, but you do get the impression that Kelvin um, did stay on Solaris or go to Solaris or whatever, get absorbed by it, whatever whatever you want to call it. But it, it's, it's to reunite him with his wife. Right. So the in the newer version, basically, it's Clooney and Viola Davis are going to, like, bounce off the space station. And the Davies yes. character is going to stay because he's part of Solaris anyway. And he's like, yeah, just leave. And so Clooney's getting ready to go in. And then he's basically, like, does a flashback to, like, him being on the streets and, like, looking for being all alone and still, like, trying to, like, sort out his wife issues and then it cuts back and it's like, oh, he, Rhea shows up and then it cuts back. And it shows that, oh, no, he just like stayed and was like, peace out. I'm staying here to live with this version of my wife because this is sort of the paradise that I would rather live in. This is the reality I would rather be is where yeah. we're both together. And it's really a weirdly like super optimistic for like a sci-fi movie of this type. I agree. <laughs> ending it's, it's just it's, like it's oh very romance. sentimental yeah yeah it, it again goes with that romance and you're like oh like it all 
it's all worth it. I would rather, you know, live in these memories or this false version than be back home in reality and miserable. It's like if the fountain was good. <laughs> and I used to like that movie, but I I, I tried that uh, popsicle again and I was like, this is a bad flavor. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. So we should probably uh, head to the fifth and final point of defense for the newer version of Solaris, which is yes. your boy Cliff Martinez and the score yes. of this movie. Killing it. This, I think, was my first score of his I heard. And I that was one of the things that blew me away on first blush. I was just like, whoa. And literally, like, the first album I bought on iTunes. No joke. Because uh, I was just like, this is kind of, like, these are jams. And, and like, so just so different than like what I was used to hearing in movies. Right. Um, it's a very digital, like electronic scoring of the movie. Yes. And I, I don't know if he's using like timpani or something like it's just very uh, twinkly. Yeah. It's, it's got a it's, dreamy digital flow to it. It's, it's like one it, of those great yeah. like soundtracks that you can just like, I know a lot of people that like, even will like write to soundtracks or do other things. Right, to you, can, soundtracks. you can study to it. Right. Yeah, it's yeah. Um, but it's also like very moving and emotional, and you know he's got spooky tracks and everything. I only recently learned that he'd been working with Soderbergh from from Jump Street. He scored Sex Lies and Videotape, which I did not know, but he's done a, a ton of Sodi's stuff, and obviously has collaborated with uh, Nicholas. Winding Refn recently. Which we talked about on the Neon Demon episode. Yes, we did. And um, yeah, I don't know. He's just like, this is just like, it's like such a good score. And and the Tarkovsky movie like actually doesn't have a lot of score. Yeah, it's a very, <laughs> for how long, especially for how long it is, it is a very yeah. silent movie. And there like is a lot like, of people talking and nothing else. In theory, there's like an electronic score by uh, Edward Artimenev. But it's just so extremely minimalist that I think part some of the times when it's actually soundtrack, you don't actually know it's like, oh, that could just be the sound effects of like the lab in the background right, or right. like, yeah, exactly. They're like, you know, little clangs or something. And like, is that soundtrack or is that like source audio in the room of the scene? And it's just and, so yeah, little. Then, it is a yeah. very quiet movie other than talking. And it's just this is the point where it's just like, I don't even think it would be just wild for somebody to be like, no, the original soundtrack is better. <laughs> no. Like, and, and I, I, I think we have at least one mutual and probably more that agree that this is like one of their favorite soundtracks of all time. Mm -hmm. it, it, it blew my mind the first time I heard it. And it was like one of the first times actually that I was like, Oh, scores, <laughs> you know? Um, Cause I was like a dumb teenager. Like, right. You don't really, all, like, all I knew is like John Williams basically. Yeah. And you're like, Oh, that's awesome. And if you don't notice it, like, especially when you're getting into film, if it's not like in your face, like, Oh, this is the Imperial March. And this is awesome. You just like, right. Don't notice it. Or it's like, Oh, this is the action scene where here's the Indiana Jones theme. Or here's, again, it's all, like all John Williams stuff is what you think of when you like first get It's like, here's the Jaws theme. And you're like, ah, 
that music is effective, but like you don't yeah, think yeah. about it in like ninety. That's a movie score, yeah. But like otherwise, you're just like I don't, I don't know. That happened probably. Uh, what? Right, or it's like a Disney or thing where you're like, oh, this is Disney orchestration. It's like, oh, that's good, but that's like it's a musical, so it right, needs that. Or, or you know, Tarantino using only source music where it's just like, oh yeah, but yeah. So this was like the first time I was like, oh fuck, composers are really good <laughs> and it turns out he's like one of the absolute best and maybe my favorite like he's great so what are some of like what are some of your favorite tracks on this if you have them oh yeah let me pull up that list because we will let, we will let listeners hear a, hear a little snippets of this to get a sort of feel of it let's start with first sleep one more there is is that what everybody wants
right. So that gives the listeners a sample of what Jason is so drawn to in this soundtrack and why, you know, it's definitely a soundtrack. If you're the type of people that like to listen to soundtracks, you might have missed Solaris because it was not a super successful movie. Go back and, you know, throw this on, you know, pick up a copy or find it on YouTube or Spotify or whatever. Yeah, I think there might be like a vinyl re-release. Like, I I, I do think a culture has evolved around like, whoa, that score was good at the very least. I, I don't know about the movie, but... Unfortunately, it's a Fox movie, so we're probably never going to see like a nice release of it now, <laughs> given um, the circumstances. But yeah, I think the soundtrack's out there. It, it might be pricey. Um, I don't know. But uh, the digital version, it's on Spotify. Like, check it out. It's so good. Yeah. So yeah, uh, I think those are all very solid points in defense of Solaris. Before we get out of here, we should probably do some junk drawer stuff to get Yes, our various yes. thoughts, because there are a lot of thoughts that you can go throughout this movie. One that starts is just the costuming in the original movie, which yes. it's like uh, <laughs> Kelvin has a lot of interesting costume, to say the least. Uh, he's got pants with like too many zippers and doohickeys. So, you know, it's the future because that's basically. But, like, but yeah, but it also looks like fetish club gear it does it's so weird yeah this is in the original yeah he does um, look like a space hoe kind of right and he's wearing like a yellow mess mesh shirt with a leather jacket a black leather jacket as if that's like what you'd step off a space pod in like what i mean it's the <laughs> 70s but what yeah you know how people say that like star wars is too like Sometimes people complain like, oh, the fashion is so like of the time. It's like, oh, no, this is like. No, more. yeah, not even close. Not even close. And 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 uh, uh, Hari has some crazy outfits, too. She has like this really shawl that is actually they do an interesting shawl. thing. Yes. Yeah. Where they like. I'm like, I've seen that at my grandma's house. She has like a shawl. Like a big deal out of the shawl. And and but it's interesting because they use it actually. It's one of those things where it's like, oh, we have a lot more time. We're going to establish it. Like the first Hari like leaves the shawl down, and then like the second Hari is there, and she like comes with her new shawl and puts the same shawl down on the chair and is like, why is there another shawl here? Like, because they don't the when the replica or the replicants or whatever come back, they like don't realize like oh, you blasted her off into space. They, like, don't have memories of the previous one. They're just, like... And then they find out that they got... The prior one got blasted off into space, and they're, like... Yeah, why why is there also uh, another ugly knit shawl here? (laughs) It's very, very Soviet. Very, uh, you need to wrap up for the winter uh, kind of shawl. What else do you have for the junk junk drawer? I do like just in a modern sense, the painting that we mentioned, the hunters in the snow, that's one of the paintings that yeah. you can get in art in animal crossing, uh, new no horizons. Way. So you could like have that in your like art museum <laughs> and have a piece of Solaris in your very own animal crossing city, except red. The Fox always brings me fakes of that painting. So I have, I don't actually have a real copy of it in my animal crossing village. But uh, that's that's beautiful. Yes. In the newer one, one of the first people you see is John Cho for like I know. a second. What? 
but he's like he's it's like pre, out of focus yeah it's, it's, it's crazy it's pre like uh harold and kumar john cho but yeah. if you know john cho you're like oh that's john cho but it's like a like one scene it probably took you might have been on set for two hours type thing exactly <laughs> oh on a Soderbergh set for sure and like that it was it's the same with me unfortunately for Viola Davis where it's like I was like 15 when I saw this movie I had no idea who the fuck she was and I'm like oh my god Viola <laughs> right this was that person oh my god well it's um, one of those things where like I've heard a lot of people I think I heard Wesley Morris the from the New York Times talking about this where there's so many role like he put this up as one of the roles where it's like there's so few roles for like black actresses of that of like her age at the time if right. you're not doing yeah. like some like emotional like wrecking like Oscar Beatty type performance and it's like there needs to be more roles like this like there's no reason why this character has to be anything let's cast Viola Davis in this because Viola Davis yeah. rules and like yeah and it's great because well, yeah and i think they'd already done two movies and i can't remember off the top of my head which two they are but yeah i, I fucking love that she's in it it's so rad um especially if like you don't know if you if you had seen the original and you don't know that viola davis is gonna be in it it's like such a huge reveal because you're just like expecting another like old oh pale white God. guy she's such a better version of that character it's crazy so much it's it's the it's the biggest character upgrade from the original to the i mean the original is just like you're watching a bunch of like weathered sweaty russian guys like <laughs> kind of lecture each other for a long time yeah I, and I, I do wonder why the guy who plays Calvin is so sweaty the entire time. Because I get why George Clooney is sweaty when he's supposed to be sweaty. Yeah, he's having like night, like night sweats and night terrors and things like that. Yeah. It's also, you know. Th th that guy's having like day sweats, like right. meat sweats or something. I don't know what they're feeding him. But yeah. You mentioned earlier the weightlessness scene. That's very. Yeah. I had a note on that because. Just some of the things don't be weight. It's like very clear they like didn't have the budget or whatever to do like, like, right. like all these things are floating. They're floating. A cup is staying on the table. Like, yeah, yeah. just like a very the special effects in the original are not good. That's a thing that S should some say. of them are cool. Like if it's not if it's like an exterior shot, like right. I, you I can, love if you just look at the planet. Thing. Yeah, it's, yes, it's yeah. not done well. But then like. When you have the at the end shot where it's like the island on the planet, you're like, no, it's terrible. <laughs> this looks so it's bad. Absolutely terrible. Um, but if you're just looking at like you know waves or whatever, like I'm a big fan of that. Like I don't know what they were doing, like mixing oils around or something. Like, right. It looks cool and trippy, and it's so it's so very 70s. The other thing I would say is, hearkening back to um, the uh, the commentary track, like it's it. it it's really weird to think that there actually could have been like potentially four versions of this or three versions of this movie. Right. Mm -hmm. Or four versions of the story. Right. Cause Cameron wanted to make it. Right. And he talks about like what his version would have been as opposed to Soderbergh's. So it's, it's, I recommend listening to it. It's really interesting. What um, are some of the things that stand out for the people that might not be able to procure a DVD? What, what would have been different in the Cameron version? It might shock you to know he was going to embrace the idea of a water planet. 
<laughs> what? Um, James Cameron? Yeah. The James Cameron? And, yeah. And he wasn't going to lean into the um, romance aspect as much as Soderbergh does. Right. The In the newer version, it's n- not really a water planet. It's just like a swirling... Yeah, ball it's never of, like established. Yeah. It's just like a swirling ball it's, of colors. Yeah, it's like a it's a Spencer's gifts uh, kind of thing. Uh, um, it looks cool though. Yeah, and so I mentioned this very briefly at the top, but the original Solaris, as we're calling it, is actually not the first production of Solaris because the original original Solaris there was a two part black and white stage play that was shot for Soviet central television in 1968. And it was broadcast twice on channel one in October, 1968. So that actually predates the film version by a few years. Can that be tracked down? I think there actually is a DVD when I was reading up on it, but I don't know if it's got English translations. Oh, yeah. Well, that would not be fun. That would not be fun. But there is actually a prior version of Solaris, which I I don't know. It might be awesome. It's also a Soviet stage play from the 60s, so it might be very I hard bet, to get through. I, I, yeah, I bet not. Um, and having read the novel, it's like, okay, this is a bit dense. It's like reading Dune before it gets fun. And then you're like, okay. Yeah, and we talked about the... Um, Kubrick and the comparison to 2001 it is also when talking about the special effects it is funny to think of it in those terms where you're like oh this is the eastern block versus special effects the eastern block special effects three years (laughs) after 2001 are so much farther behind 2001 you're like you if you just saw the special effects you'd be like what did this movie come out like 10 years before 2001 or right, yeah the the, the russian uh, douglas trumbull does not exist <laughs> yes oh one last junk to a point originally yes, this film got an r rating oh yes yes and it was because good... there is yes, yes. a whole lot of george clooney butt in this movie yes <laughs> it's like his backside in the flashbacks when they're establishing the relationship there's lots of him uh the two of them naked but mainly it's Clooney's butt that you see and it's it's chased it's not that bad and what happened was Soderbergh was like this is crap it's just like his butt and that's the reason why this is an R-rated movie and they appealed based on the fact that there was butts on TV and dramas like I think Dennis Franz and yeah Yeah, NYPD Blue and so they got it bumped down to PG-13, I believe. Yes. And yes, so George Clooney's butt almost made this movie that has no business being an R-rated film. An no. R-rated film. And it, it makes a couple appearances. Okay. I, I had actually forgotten about that until I popped it in last night, and it was like the thing came up, and it was like rated P- PG-13, parentheses, formerly R. I'm like, why include that MPAA? (laughs) What? MPAA is just a bunch of dicks. Yeah, it's a big old bag of dicks. Like, what the fuck? And then I remembered, like, oh yeah, George Clooney's butt. Like, that's so stupid. And yeah, (laughs) no one saw it anyway. It was a complete disaster. But yeah, (laughs) hey, 
whatever. I think I think it's people have come around on it. I hope. I th- I think I'm not alone. I'm I'm probably pretty alone in preferring it to the original, but I think people like this movie. Right there. I mean, as we st- saw with the critics, there were some critics that preferred this, and it's not like the most left field take, but it's also just like it's comparing a movie most people think is a sci-fi classic to a movie that most people like was released and didn't see and didn't really care for. And some people just like weirdly were so anti it. The, the, right. the hateful yeah. reviews are yeah. so weird with this movie. Cause it's just like, uh, <laughs> what are you, what, what do you want? Well, I mean, I think he's coming off of Ocean's Eleven. I think they're just like, oh, what, they wanted what is something fun. Shit? I guess. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you know, I would I would flip them on the list if they're both on the list, but I like them both. And and, and yeah, well, this I, is I not like, a, like this is both. not a yeah. long dig at the original Solaris. Which again, if I was and I probably if I was all you know alive in nineteen seventy five or seventy six or whatever it was released, it would probably be like, oh wow, this is like one of the better sci fi movies. But when yes. When you go so long and then you're like, oh, this is kind of like I feel like I have to like this because I'm a film snob. But there are so many better, more fun, more philosophically interesting science fiction movies out there that like I can appreciate it for what it is. And it's not like I regret watching it or anything like it's a good movie, but it's just it's a lot. It's a big ask. It's a big ask of a movie. It's yeah. That's an evening. Yeah, I watched like Amadeus last week, which is like the director's cut is three hours, but it's not like you feel like it's super long, but it's not a trudge in the way that the original Solaris. No, I is. mean, yeah, no. Darkovsky loves his long takes, and it's just yeah, it's and, and it the the car so the, long. The car driving scene going. is the most absurd. One of the most it's, absurd things you'll see. If you, yes, absolutely. I imagine just, a lot of people would like, just like turn it off there. Yeah, like why are we in Tokyo? Like, what is this? Like, I thought this was set in <laughs> Russia. <sighs> my uh, my Jerry Springer final thought would be: I feel like if I'm not mistaken, this came out at a time where there weren't a lot of, you know, high budget, cool sci-fi movies coming out. Right. Um, maybe sunshine exists in like a weird gap period before like sci-fi became cool again. Mm -hmm. It is more that like literate sci-fi, but it doesn't totally land its mark in the way that you want a literate sci-fi and Lem agrees with that. So (laughs) yes, he does. With that in mind, is there anything you would like to plug on your way out, Jason? Oh, oh, I don't know. Um, th- uh, this podcast, obviously. Um, Stalker, I think you mentioned you enjoyed. Uh... Yes, that's a great movie. Um, also does the weird color grading thing. So you kind of have to adjust your brain to that. But uh, that's a that's one of his movies I, I, I really enjoy. Also, you know, slow, but great. And one that he enjoys more than this one. Yes. And uh, Andre Rublev is also great. And then... Pretty much anything um, by Steven Soderbergh. He just put out a movie. Um, no Sudden Move. Yes, No Sudden Move, which I thought was incredible. And I, that's free to stream on HBO Max. So I would I would recommend that. Do you have a do you, what do you have a favorite Soderbergh? Or Ooh. or a, what are what's the, like the top tier Soderbergh for you? 
Uh, out of sight. Mm-hmm. Mm, you're making it hard. The liney. Um, this does not have to be definitive. We just wanted a couple. Sure, sure, so, sure, sure. sure. So, Maybe Che. Ooh, um, ooh, that would be an yeah. unexpected choice. But uh, yeah, those are those are a few of the favorites. So you can check those out as well. Schizopolis is oh, I don't know. If you're in the mood. Smoke some weed and watch Schizopolis. It's a, it's a, it's interesting. Yeah, uh, um, he's, he's pretty. Soderbergh's pretty prolific for a guy who retired. Uh, how many years ago? <laughs> just... I know. And and the best part is he was like just here in Seattle making a movie that I can't wait to see. And that's one of like I think three movies he has coming out next year. Um, <laughs> he does not slow down anymore. He he re- retired and then he was like, now I need to make five movies a year. Yeah, right. It's like if Jay-Z came out of retirement and then kicked a bunch of ass instead of, like, being, you know, lame. Uh, <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, awesome. Uh, thanks again for coming on. I'm of sure course. you'll be back again. You are the person who has a bunch of ideas while I have to pull teeth with everybody else. Uh <laughs> I, I, I was already, like, ruminating on one. So, yeah, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. All right, so thanks again. And remember, even if everyone else mocks it, love the stuff you love. (laughs) 